It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hi, welcome to the show. My guest today is Dan Waldschmidt, CEO, speaker, author, ultramarathoner, champion ultramarathoner, which I want to get into a little bit later in the show. Dan, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Great to be with you today. So rather than have me do a standard introduction, introduce yourself. Tell us what you do and who you do it for. Uh, so I, I like the champ. I like now being able to add that champion ultra run. That makes you know what I mean. Very impressive, by the way. <laughs> it's not just cool; it's like super cool. You so know? <laughs> just for people listening, Dan just recently won a 100-mile ultra marathon race, and I think you set a record, didn't you? I did. So yes. Tell us about that. Where was that? Yeah, 17 hours, 18 minutes, five seconds. I wouldn't even have run the race except it was in my hometown here in the southeast in, in South Carolina. And I thought, uh, you know what? It's close to home, so let's go out and do it. And um, it, it was it was a, a lot of what I was planning for and a lot of what I wasn't planning for. 92 degrees, 100% humidity. I think out of 150 people who started the race, maybe a third or up to half had to drop out from uh, some sort of heat stroke or heat exhaustion. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, and so, but what was cool about that and, and the, the races and my video team created a documentary, which I'll hopefully have done in the next, next few weeks was I told my wife the night before, okay, I know I can do this. I just want to see if I can run from wire to wire. And so that was my goal. I've run hundreds before where when you're running up a mountain, you might, you might hike it or right. power hike it. Right. And I said, I don't want to do that. I want to see if I can push myself to run every step of the way. And besides uh, stopping at an aid station to like grab a sandwich where you have to, you have to, you know, take a step. Um, I we ran the entire way and uh, finished 24 miles ahead of second place. And I think something like 10 or 12 hours ahead of second place. So wow. that was, that was fun. It was fun. All right. So we're going to get back to that, but tell us, what do you do and who you do it for in your business? Uh, so here, here's what I do. I, I run a big consulting company that does uh, solves complex problems for big billion dollar businesses. We're headquartered out of Washington, D.C. We do work in Istanbul, uh, had another office in Istanbul, Turkey, and another office in Tokyo. I think 12 or 14 different countries around the world. We have projects from sell, uh, helping laptop manufacturers, you know, sell the right products in, in Chile and South America to helping uh, Oracle and Brazil and a bunch of stuff like that. So it's really the problems we solve uh, might be leadership problems. They might be marketing problems. They might be HR problems. They all come down to one really serious thing. And Andy, you know this. Most companies don't really want to solve their problems until it impacts revenue or profit. And as soon as it touches revenue, it's like, ah, we got to solve this. And then they call me and we go in and try to shake things up. But uh, essentially, um, as you just said in your gracious announcement or, or introduction, uh, consult to solve problems, speak, and of course, uh, have a book and a blog and, and, and things like that. Uh, just trying to change this, the conversation and business around what it takes to achieve success. And I think a lot of these businesses are stuck and people are stuck and being stuck is really frustrated. And so I unstick them. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the way you write about winning attitudes. Uh 
just if you go to your blog just this week. So people are interested, go to Dan's blog at danwaldschmidt.com forward slash blog. I mean, this week you've got one on stop whining, uh, self-defeat, never give up, taking stock from failures. I mean, how did you learn these lessons? Well, you know, I had made a, a bunch of money at a very early age from hard work. And, and that's kind of how I was raised. Um, no, Do- TV, no TV in the home at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, seriously, I tell people uh, kind of like the analogy is like Tiger Woods was raised. You know, you see him pick, you know, on TV, hitting a golf ball at three and four years old. That's how I was raised from started taking piano lessons at four, five years old. And now, you know, in, in, in university, my minor was like concert piano. Right. You know, so it's like I still play classical piano. OK, so from from those days of having to practice the piano every day. So I was raised. And it was funny, Andy, is looking back on it, I go. Why did I like go along with that? But as a kid, you don't know any better. So your mom says you have to read a book a day. You read a book a day. And oh, by the way, my mom said to me, guess what? We don't want you to read fiction because it's a waste of your brain. You're going you're gonna to have to read biographies. And oh, guess what? At 12 years old, I'm reading my dad's Blackstone Law books, right? It's like, it's crazy. But that's how I was raised. But so, your friends weren't doing that. I mean. My friends weren't. They were watching Seinfeld and and doing all of this fun stuff, going to the pool. My parents were very religious. They said, you know, you, you're not allowed to go to the pool or wear swim trunks or things like that. You have to be modest. And basically it was, you, you, we only want you to do things that are worthwhile. And really laughing and joking and, and all of that craziness. I mean, we had fun, don't get me wrong. But it was like, look, you know, uh, let's build mastery in your life that you can use to be successful uh, down the road. And so that, that's what they were really focused on. So it's no wonder my first company, my first job, my first, um, you know, my first company at 12 and 13 years old was mowing lawns, some 200 of them, I think, you know, um, and and that money, my parents, when I got home, took that money and said, we're going to help you invest it and save it and store it and keep it. And I basically paid my own way through college using the money I, as a young teenager, built. And so I, I, I learned the lessons. I mean, there was no label on it. No one was calling me an entrepreneur at 12. In fact, I was like some sweaty dude with a lot of grass stains on my knees. Right. 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 <laughs> no, now everyone's a fancy, you know, entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, back then I was just like a dude who was, was hustling, trying to, earn, trying to earn my keep. And so, um, but, but I learned lessons. I learned that, look, a home closer to my house, I could give them a little discount because I didn't have to walk as far. And I learned that, uh, you know, a, a home that was further away, I need to charge them more. I remember when I first started mowing lawns, I mean, again, this is rude awakening, 12-year-old kid. I go and I, I go and borrow $20 from my mom. I go down to the store where they have, you know, you print flyers. And I printed flyers and I handed them out. Like people called the house and I picked up the phone. Okay, I'm glad to come. I go outside and all, my mom opens the back door. She says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to mow this lawn. And she said, why, why are you pushing the family lawnmower down the street? And I said, I'm going to go mow the lawn. She said, that's not your lawnmower. You don't own it. You can't, how, how, how can you use that lawnmower? And I said, well, uh, oh, I hadn't thought of this. I said, ah, do, do, do may, maybe, can I use the family, this lawnmower? She said, sure. Happy to let you use the family lawnmower, but you're going to have to pay me a price. And I was like, ah, you know, worst mom in the world. No one put a label on that, but guess what I learned? I learned about vendor relationships, right? Yep. I learned about price. Anyways, all cost, these- Cost of goods. Exactly. All the stuff that I would have never learned, you know, I would have to, you know, 
10, 10, 10 years later in an MBA class, I would have a fancy title for it. I learned as a 12 and 13 year old kid. And, and at 25, 26 years old, it's no wonder I had made millions of dollars in this tutelage, right? Well, Being what, taught every day. What was the first business you started professionally at beyond college? Uh, my first, my first one was actually a business that I didn't start. I worked at Enron for 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 a couple months, believe it or not, and and then and then jumped to uh, a plumbing, heating, and air conditioning company that was very, very, very small. And I didn't start it, but my best friend's dad did, and we were at a football game, and he said, "Hey, I hear you're you're good at sales. I'm going to think about firing my sales team. Would you would you would you think about coming in and doing something from scratch?" And I thought, "Huh, sure, why not? It's a challenge." And and, and in two years later, I'd build it into a $20 million uh, uh, empire. And by the way, back then I was cheeky and ballsy. So you know what I said to him? By the way, for all of you young sales guys out there looking at, oh, I need to get paid more. I want to, you know what I told him? Uh, I said, don't pay me a salary. Give me 10% of every bit of revenue this company brings in that I contribute to. Now, if you just heard what I said a few minutes ago, I said, I grew this to be a $20 million company in two years. So as a young punk, I think I joined the company when I was 19 years old, maybe 20. I was making a lot, a lot, a lot of money at a very early age, but I had the guts to go and believe in myself and say, don't pay me anything until I sell a lot for you. And then I want you to pay me. Now, the other lesson I learned was, guess what? <laughs> I left after two years. You know why? The guy who was writing the checks. You want to stop writing the checks. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you, lesson number two, Andy. And you've written about this. You've talked about it. And you, but you know, I was young. I made a rookie mistake. As I priced myself out of a job, I, I had built a company for somebody else and made myself a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But that was a short-term deal. And like a professional football player or professional sports person, you know, you know, uh, negotiating that process can be pretty frictional. I said, screw it. I'm going to leave. Went to another, I found another very small company, about a hundred thousand dollar a year company that was selling <clears throat> legal services. Can I use the same process I used in mowing lawns, building an empire there, to selling air conditioners and toilets? Can I do that selling legal services to wall, uh, to lawyers on Wall Street and on K Street in Washington D.C. And in one year, grew took grew that from one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to eight to eight million dollars. It would have been twenty five million, but unfortunately, we were physically unable, literally, could not do the work, so we could not sell it. And literally, like every single uh, you know person was working tremendous amounts of overtime. There's just no way to scale it that fast. But well, uh, what, what was your what was your secret to transforming the sales so dramatically? Let's take the legal services company and what. What did you do differently than what they had been doing in the past? I think it's, you know, one of the big lessons I learned was perspective matters a lot, perspective. Uh, and so a lot of people know about their industry. Uh, and, and so there's something magical about being a little clueless <laughs> about what, what, and I'm air quoting here, uh, what will work, right? What should work. Mm -hmm. So I went in with a take no prisoners approach. One of the things I did, which was, and I think I've talked about this in interviews before, is when I went in, is it really was a take, I, I gathered a motley crew of salespeople around me to go sell. And, and when you joined, 
I would literally get, get you a sword that was engraved with your name on it. Now, this is back in the time when Gladiator first came out. Right, I think, right. I think, I think that's the first movie that I've seen about like 20 times. I have the soundtrack to it. You know, like when I'm running sometimes, it'll come on. Yeah. The soundtrack to where he's in the, in the, uh, stadi- uh, yeah, in the, in the stadium fighting, and it's like, dun, dun, uh, no, no, no. And you're like, wow, yes, your blood's pumping. You're thinking about swinging swords and tigers jumping off chains. But when I, I would hire people and I would say, listen, this is not – we are not salespeople. We are warriors. And, and we don't fight each other. We fight everybody outside. And I really changed the tone from process to, uh, to aptitude, uh, attitude, sorry, from aptitude to attitude. And I really brought in guys who wanted it mm-hmm. and something to prove, chip on their shoulder. And then I began to add a process to refine them. So I didn't refine them. I didn't like look at coherence or adherence to a program first. I went into guys who were hungry and angry and frustrated and wanted to leave their mark on the world. And I said, join me, my brothers. And, and literally when you joined, their name was engraved on it. And it was a heavy sword like the sword from Gladiator. Uh, looked exactly the same. I gave it to them, had a sheath and all. And, and it weighed probably two or three pounds. When they left, we said, you have to give us your sword back. Did you because- break it? Did you break it like the ceremonial? Uh- oh, no. You know what we did? We hung them up on the wall. We had a wall that was hung up of what we called past heroes. Uh, and so literally, and what happened was people, people, it, it became, it did two things. One, we became legendary in a short period of time. By the way, I went on to take this company. Uh, I was going to leave and, and do and build a competitor company. And the shareholder said, no, 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 no. How about you run this company? I became CEO and uh, we did it, what, what we grew it to 150 locations and I eventually sold it to a company that everyone knows called Edmund Scientific, a uh, big publicly traded sort of deal. And it, it went, it went, uh, it went uh, uh, big, but, but the, what, what, so the end of the story was things went well and we grew and this actually worked. But part of why it worked was one, I had the right timing it was an industry that was growing. So I got some natural buoyancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way to say that is I was lucky. Uh, the other time, the other thing that really made it work was we brought in guys who were willing to scrap and the reputation got around that, wow, these guys were like, they were serious. And so our competitors knew that if we were coming after you, that you, you know, it was going to be a, it was going to be a fight. So when we moved into Philly, it was a fight. When we moved into New York. It was a fight. When we went to Miami. It was a fight. And every location, it's like, we're not backing down an inch and we're hiring warriors. And, uh, and so that attitude, again, that's that, that idea of capturing the will, right? Will mm-hmm. and stimulating that, um, was something that I learned very early on is that pe- if people don't want to win, I can't change them. But there are a lot of people who want to fi- win, who don't look pretty winning. They, they, you know, they, they sweat too much. They stink too much while they're sweating. You know, they grunt while they're doing pushups. Right. Right. And so the big businesses who want the guy who's wearing the, the bow ties and the white shoes go, oh, he doesn't fit our classification. Right. He doesn't have the right skills. There's not the right pedigree, not the right resume, not the right CV. And they kick him to the curb. And I grab that guy and give him a hand up and say, listen, are you ready to battle? If you're ready to battle, I've got a place for you, you know. And so I learned that very early on. Now, the problem was I couldn't exactly describe what I was doing. Looking back on it, I've got labels for it. Looking back, I've got you know processes for it. But while I was living that, I was horribly frustrated. 
because I, it was a lot of touch and feel, and I knew someone wouldn't work out, but but I didn't know why. So so take for example, before we sold Edmund Scientific, I was planning to do two things: either take the company big, or really big, mm-hmm. um, or or sell. And so I was bringing hiring a CFO because I thought if we go public or something, I need a CFO who like like not a bookkeeper type, like a real CFO, CFO. And so I interviewed uh, a, a gentleman who's still a very close friend of mine. We became friendly in this process, who was the first CFO of AOL. So this, this guy knew his stuff, like mm-hmm. knew, really knew his stuff. And I brought him in. I thought, what the hell am I doing? Right, I'm a college dropout twice, right? Dropped out of two, two different universities. Five years, no degree. Like on one hand, I'm thinking like, Dan, you're just like an epic loser. How are you going to interview a CFO to take your company public? And so I sat across the, 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 you know, the chair from this guy, and I said, he was telling me all this stuff, and I said, look, thank you. What's your first biggest weakness? What's your biggest weakness? And he said, ah, wow. He gave me this long answer, like two minutes. And it was like I care too much, love too much, give too much, always work too hard, all that stuff. And I said, what's your second biggest weakness? And, and I don't even remember what he said. And I said, what's your third biggest weakness? The first answer I, I gave. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's what you should have said. I think right around the fourth or fifth time I asked him what his biggest weakness was, he said, oh, I don't know. Sometimes I'm just... And I said, oh, okay. I can live with that. I can live with that. I can live with that. And I learned this lesson early on is that, is that, is that there's something inside all of us that either propels us magically forward towards our goals or limits us. Sometimes people say that's self-limiting behavior. It limits us, stops us. So despite all of these skills we have and the experience, the tutelage and the capabilities that, that we do things that cause ourselves to either be wildly uh, effective beyond what we should be, right? Beyond what other people think we should be, or it, 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 it handcuffs us so that we don't even rise to the minimum expectations of our pedigree. And so that's what I, I, said, I realized, and of course now in working with big companies all over the world, I see this time and time and time again, that most of what stops us from being amazing, uh, I'll use the word awesome a lot, is, has nothing to do with raw knowledge. All like, oh, I didn't know that it was illegal to stab somebody in the chest, right? <laughs> it's not about like, you know what I mean? It's kind of silly. It's right. not that we don't know, it's that we don't do it. So we don't change. It's that we're not motivated to want to change. And so it's, it's, it's being able to help those organizations uh, not just create strategy for the sake of making more money, but creating purpose and meaning so that long after it stops being fun or funny, that you're still winning. You're still winning. Right. And that's, that's that, my friend. That's the holy grail. All right. Well, we want to get back. When we come back after a short break, I want to talk further about that. Stay with us after the break as Dan Waldschmidt shares with us his secrets for developing the attitude you need to succeed at everything, I guess, right? Yeah, everything. Yeah, at everything. Name it. Right. Life, business, you name it. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. 
Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. My guest today is Dan Waldschmidt. Make sure you follow Dan online at danwaldschmidt.com. Make sure you read his blog every day. Great stuff day in, day out about developing the attitudes you need to win and succeed at work and at life. And so right before the break, you were talking about, you know, attitude versus aptitude and developing these, you know, consistent winning habits, if you will. You know, for a CEO of a small business or a salesperson of a small business or a medium-sized business, what's the first step they need to take? You know, how do they do that self-assessment yeah. of what these limiting, self-limiting beliefs are, as you talked about? You know, how do they self-assess and then, you know, what's the first step to making a change? Yeah, so part of it is a, a really knowing, knowing what you want. And perhaps some people call that knowing your why. But, but, you know, why are you doing this? What makes you tick? Is attaching it to something bigger than, than just making money. It has to be attached to something bigger than making money. Maybe you're, you know, look, and sometimes we're not honest about this. I talked to a friend of mine. He's running 700 miles. And I said, why are you doing this? He said, well, I don't know, because I can. <laughs> I said, no, stop. Don't give me that bullshit. Why are you doing this? Is it to prove to yourself that you're tough enough to do it? I, and he's like, yeah, probably. And so I said, I get it. I, I have those same drives. I've, I've run almost 8,000 miles in the last two years, right? I get it. I get it. But what is it? And not being afraid to put it out there. I want to change the world. I want to create a financial um, you know, launch pad for my family. I want to better my community. Whatever it is, whatever your thing is, attaching it. Now, here's what, I, here's what I'll tell tell companies who often say to me, oh, we're just not inspired to change. Then I'll say this, then your dreams aren't big enough. I don't have to, I don't have to motivate you to get out of bed when your house is on fire, right? I mean, you're pretty damn motivated to get out of your bed on your own. Right. No one has to run around with an air horn, aroo, aroo, right? No one has to come around and say, will you get out of bed? You're out of bed. In fact, you're not just walking down the hallway, you're running down the hallway, right? Right. No one has to say you need to work up a sweat. You're doing it. Why? Because your house is on fire. So you gotta find a way to set your house on fire, right? And by the way, sometimes that's literally, Sometimes there's small, small business owners who have the wrong thinking. They're playing it so safe they'll never grow. And they need – I talked to someone today who said to me, well, if we improve our service, we might drop our revenue by 40%. And I said, you might. But you also might attract customers that you have you, – you don't even know where they are or that they exist, right? They're out there. They want you. But you're, you're so focused on what – I don't want to lose what I have right now. I often think whenever I get, find these sort of business questions very confusing in my mind, I try to go very primitive, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I love the story, of course, of Hernando Cortez. Right. Burning came, the ships. That's exactly right. And I've got I've – got, I'm getting a new tattoo in the next uh, two weeks. I've already got it drawn up and everything uh, on my arm to add to the ones I already have of the ship burning and saying burn the ships right but, for, for listeners that don't know i mean cortez was the spanish explorer that uh, landed central america somewhere mexico maybe yeah and you know basically when the sh when his troops offloaded the ship he didn't want fear to conquer them so he burnt the ships that came over on so there was no return 
That's right. The only way to, to get to, the only way to get home was to like conquer. Right. <laughs> that's it. So I mean, you know, literally. So that, that that's the lesson. I mean, you, you have nailed it. I mean, like, you 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 the only way to move forward is to find a new path. You know. Now that's that takes guts, and I'll tell you, it it's hard it's hard to do it. The couple times I've done it, I gotta tell you, it's scary. But you find a way. You find a way. So attaching what you really want to change in your life. By the way, another silly example. My father uh, was a very high-level uh, government official under George Bush mm-hmm. and uh, running the NSA. And at 40, 45, he went to the doctor. The doctor said, oh, you are having pain because you just had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was a small one, but uh, you need to change your stress level and diet and a few things like that. Well, you know, obviously, if you're in the government during the, the Bush years, you know that was you know, 9-11 and all that stuff. So stress level was high. But he said, here's one thing you can do is change how you eat. So he went home the next day, threw out the butter, threw out the salt, threw out all the crap, started eating healthy. Now, prior to that day, my mom, who raised me, nagged him about not eating donuts and, not, and he needed to eat more lettuce. I'll tell you, my dad lost 25 pounds and he didn't hear a nagging word from my, from my mom, right? What changed? Well, my mom was still had the same beliefs, right? My dad still had the same wants for donuts, but what changed was he wanted to live more than he wanted donuts. Right. And until you want to live more than you want donuts in your business, what's sweet and sexy in your belly, right? When you want to grow and change so badly that your bones ache if you don't have it, right? Until you get to that point, then guess what? You probably won't make the change in your life that will be a catalyst for transformation. And you'll talk about it, and you'll still read Inc. Magazine and Fast Company. You have all the blogs, Harvard Business Review. You'll know the right terms, be tweeting the right tweets, right, sharing the right content, but you'll never be the somebody you want to be, the somebody you dream about, because you're not willing to just burn the ships and change. Just burn it. Burn it all down. Burn it. Right. Dance around the flames and say, today's a new day. Instead, you know, you make excuses. Well, I got well, I got to do this. I mean, you know, or I got to do that. You don't have to do anything. What you have to do is pursue your dream at all costs. You know, and, 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 and you, we realize this intensity from time to time. We get a chance to observe it in others. What I you know, with, with the blogs that I write and the articles that I that I find is I try to find these people. And, and bring them to life. We, we found a, a, a guy two days ago in China. He was kicked out of school because he's handicapped, had no, had no arms, and he, he became a, a kind of a big story in China because he took the standardized testing in China with his toes. Yeah, love it. And he didn't do well enough, so he retook the test to get a higher score. And so, again, it's, it's just, it's like, uh, and of course, that level of commitment is, of course, revered. It used to be revered in our country more than it is now, it feels like. But when you see that, you have to stand back and cheer. And of course, those stories are all around us. Uh, they don't often make the news. But those are things that I try to illuminate to say, look, if you want that same breakthrough in your life, then listen, you probably have to act differently and not just act a little bit differently, act a lot of it differently. So I think the first thing that busy business leaders of any size business, whether you think you're a small business, medium-sized business, or a big multi-billion dollar company, 
like like GE, Aetna, Siemens, the, or the NFL, one of these big, 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 big companies, right? Big enterprises, is from time to time, you have to make time every Monday, every Tuesday, something like every Saturday morning over a cup of coffee, sit down and say, what do I really want? Do I really want to be doing what I'm doing now? And, and, and if, you, if the answer is yes, then that's great. You're in a good spot. If the answer is no, the next question needs to be, what do I need to do, right, to get there? What, what change? Maybe it's a small change, you know? Maybe it's like you, your life is good, but the person right underneath you is, is passive aggressive. And maybe you need to pull that guy aside and say, listen, I really love this company and I like working with you. But if you can't be more direct, you can't work here anymore. And I know we've worked together for 35 years because you're, you're an incredibly talented person. But if this doesn't change, right, then you're going to have to leave, you know? So these are things that we often avoid. And inside, we're smeltering, right? right. We're, just, we're just steaming. And it builds up and builds up. And, and, and instead of becoming better versions of ourselves, we're just worn out, and bitter, and angry, and, uh, and, 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 and end up like giving up. But well, and, I, and I think you hit such a key point is that for so many people, and I see this with companies I've worked with clients over the years, especially small, medium enterprises, a lot of times they engage me because they're stuck. Right? Yeah. This is what yep. happens. They reach a certain level of proficiency at what they do. And they sort of get satisfied, but the instinct is now to protect what they have, just the point you talked about. And what are they really protecting, right? I mean, they're really yeah. protecting themselves against success. Yep, because that's exactly right. Because if you yep. stand still, you're guaranteed to start failing. That's right, and that's a mindset issue. I, my, my, uh, I think our, our, my good buddy Tom Searcy um, uh, said, said to me the other day, you know, it's, in, a, in a lot of business, uh, there's mechanics, so the mechanics might be HR, it might be sales, it might be cold calling, marketing, outbound emailing, inbound emailing, lead generation, whatever it is. Okay, there's mm-hmm. lots of mechanics, and so guys like me and you write books about the mechanics. You know, we write books about how to improve your cold calling and zero time selling. You know, there was a masterful book you wrote about a year ago, I think, right? Yeah. A year and a half. Three, three years ago now. Wow. Oh my gosh, I still have that on my desk. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but uh, you know, so we write books about these mechanics and, and well-intentioned books. We write these books going, how do we help small business leaders, uh, you know, fix their mechanics? Because if they fixed it, you know, if they adopted the principles that you that you outlined in Zero Time Selling, guess what? They would have more time in their life and they, they'd have more sales. So it's frustrating. I'm putting words in your mouth, I'm sure. When people read your book and don't implement it and you want to shake them by the neck and go, dude, I spent a year writing this book and if you would just follow it, you would have a better business. So it's like, why don't they do it? Why don't they listen to these mechanics who can fix it? And so the, here's, here, here's the scenario. If you're a business leader, this is important, is that there's mechanics, but ahead of mechanics, there's mindset. So you've got mindset and mechanics. And so what happens is if your mindset is, I already know what there is to know, right? I've been doing this business and my grandpappy did this business and my grandpappy's grandpappy did this business and I know what to do and who to, I know it all, that's your attitude, then you're right, you get stuck. And you, you might not even know that's your attitude. Someone might have to point it out to you. Uh, then, then, then the mechanic, the changes that can help, help make you better just get left to the side. And, and if those mechanics don't get tweaked, then the last section, the magic, is missing. So companies like Amazon 
can send a package to us in like anywhere in the world in like 24 hours or something. It's incredible. Right. And, Zop- and Zappos can like send you like endless numbers of awesome shoes, right? It's like these companies have certain things that they're known for and it's magical. You know, Disney World, literally magic, right? right? And so, but that comes from this, it comes from great mechanics, but the mechanics comes from a belief system of mindset. Of mind, and by the way, that's what I talked earlier a few minutes ago about is what are you thinking about? What's your why? If your mindset is, I can always improve, then when someone criticizes you, go, okay, and you take the good stuff and throw away the bad stuff. If, if your mindset is, oh, our customers are stupid, and guess what? Everyone's picking on me, and I never get a break, then guess what? When someone criticizes you, you're like, see, that's what I'm talking about. Everyone's picking on me, and life isn't fair. And, and so what happens is your mechanics become defensive, right? And, and, and guess what happens to your magic? If that's like a candle, a flame, it just starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually it goes out. And so I think it's important to realize as a company is that, you know, guys like you and me who who try to help these leaders get unstuck, they come in and they say to us, you know, Andy, I know you're an expert in sales. So come on, give it to me. Give it to me, baby. Show me how to show me how to improve my mechanics. And you will. If they listen to you, they will improve. But part of that change in mechanics really needs to include as well, simultaneously, a change in their mindset. And what are they doing, not just to hire you to fix their mechanics, what are they doing each day to fix their mindset? And you know, in sports, we see it, right? In sports, right. Uh, Lindsey Vaughn, for right. example, who's, who's won the most downhill skiing events of any it might be any most, most alpine ski events i think of any woman yeah yeah i think of anyone yeah it's crazy she she goes to these she goes to ski with three coaches one of them is a ski coach and two of them are are head coaches right helping her focus yep right high speeds around corners all that stuff focus intensity mindset all of that you know um it's it's why is phil jackson right the zen master right how can he help great you know, great basketball players like, like Michael Jordan. How do these like legends like Michael Jordan look up to Phil Jackson? Because right, he he's able to like reach inside their soul and help help stimulate what really matters. And so, you know, one one of the reasons why I go running almost every day is to like keep my head in shape. One of the reasons why I try to meditate every day, keep my head in shape. One of the reasons why I wake up every morning and try to tell myself a few important things. You know, like I refuse to worry about things that are outside my control. Why do I have to repeat that to myself? Because there are things outside my control that frustrate me. And if I don't remind myself, hey, idiot, guess what? That's out of your control. Don't worry about it. Don't waste your emotion on it. My mindset goes to crap. And if my mindset gets lousy, guess what gets lousy too? My mechanics. If my mechanics get lousy, guess what? I don't sell. Results get lousy, right. That's right. Even if I have a great book on my desk called Zero Time Selling, guess what? (laughs) It ain't working for me because my mindset's horrible. Right. Or amp up your sales. That would work Amp up your sales. That's, yeah. All right. We're going to- You know what's funny? I have two copies of Amp Up Your Sales on my desk. (laughs) Make sure you give one to a friend. There you go. So I'm going to take a short break and we're going to come back and talk further with Dan Waldschmidt. Make sure you follow Dan at danwaldschmidt.com. Hi, this is Andy. You've just listened to part one of my conversation with Dan Waldschmidt. Part two is even more incredible. It's going to air on December 8th. You want to make sure you don't miss it. Now, the way to do that is to go to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast, and you not only catch the next episode with Dan, but also all the conversations we've recorded with amazing leaders in sales and marketing, 
business development, professional development, people to help you grow and amp up your business. So until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.